The Movie Hour, episode 34, May 14th, 2009. Spoiler alert, the following hour of programming may contain both movie plots and swearing. Welcome, everyone, to the Bob Bush Twizans Rhinoplasty Movie Hour. This is Greg Maloney podcasting from Lake Orion, Michigan. Hey, everyone. This is Jim Maloney in Rochester Hills, Michigan. And Jeff Hendrickson in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Today, us uh, Detroit Michigander people are swelling with pride as our Detroit Red Wings are. Finally, it's going to be, what is it, it's 2-2 coming back here? No, it's 3-2 now. 3-2 coming back here. We're Actually, I thought the last game was in Detroit. Correct, we're going to Anaheim. Okay. Right. Yeah, game five would have been in Detroit. Now when game Jeff, six is in Anaheim. Sorry, when Jeff said back there, he, he completely confused me. Since Jeff doesn't live here anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry. There are you running around, are you running around, are you running around the streets painting, uh, Philadelphia red? Like, they, they already know. Oh. Everybody here knows that the Red Wings are gonna win a Stanley Cup, they know. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was, it was an accepted fact yet. Yeah, it's an accepted fact. Yeah, there's uh, a lot, I guess we don't have any other, uh, sports teams to, Pronounced as the the best ever, but I uh, guess take head of their division. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Starting off the season well, and uh, I guess we have to take what we can get as uh, <clears throat> Detroit people. We gotta. We don't have much to much to live up for nowadays. There are there are a lot of big actually big things that keep us distracted. This podcast, which is my favorite thing to do during the week, since I do so many things, that's saying a lot. But also discussing how well how Star Trek the movie did well. Well enough to be right up there with Wolverine that debuted the week before it, and ended up doing what, like seventy six million this week? Is yeah, that what it is? And the weekend, five. quite impressive. Yeah, and yeah, I thought uh, a Star Trek record, by the way. Really? Well, what's the closest to that? Do you know? Did I you don't figure know, that out? Actually, I'm not surprised. Like Star Trek, the movies have always been. I don't know. I'm sure their their limited success in the box office has been a. Uh, has been a crutch, but this this, this movie not your father's Star Wars. Yeah, Star this is your father's Star. <laughs> he said Star Wars again. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is not your father's Star Trek, and it actually uh, ended up being just the summer blockbuster feel. That's for sure. From reviews that come out, like a lot of my friends saw it. I was still holding out for probably next weekend. I don't want to go with the zoo, the zoo of people. Maybe go see IMAX. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Well, well, my father saw it and he liked it, so maybe it might be my father's Star Trek. You never know. 
<laughs> Ooh, interesting. Apparently, this isn't my <laughs> father's Star Trek. It is your father's I'm not sure Star Trek. who they're talking to specifically, but they weren't talking to me. <laughs> the commercials were lying. Yeah, it, it didn't end up being the social commentary that I'm sure like a Trekkie might want, but I don't think any of the movies actually lived up to any of the episodes or themes. But the movie seemed to actually uh, got a lot of good reviews. And in terms of people that thought it was just an action-packed thriller, that was confirmed, but some people thought it had uh, some actual thought process in it. That's surprising, but good. <laughs> surprising, surprising. Some people went and saw The Fast and the Furious, too, so I'm not really going to put a whole lot of stock into what some people think. But that having been said, good for Star Trek for going out there and kicking some ass. Taking by some, some people, you mean billions. Are you going to end up seeing this movie? Or are you going to, or we have to go? I'm interested. Go next? Gotcha. Are you not going to go see Angels and Demons, which comes out this Friday? Um, No, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it on DVD, but I'm not going to the theater for that. I will not see that movie. Period. I don't it's know if a I know mockery of the Catholic Church, and I will not have it. Yeah. Plus, you're not into Hardy Boys, and you're not a retard. <laughs> That's part of it too. <laughs> Good reference. Good reference. The one movie I love this trailer. You guys have to check this thing out at some point. I think I sent you the link. Big Man Japan, which is a PG-13 half animation, half reality TV kind of thing, where it's the story of your superhero human guy that they have to electrocute to turn into a giant person to defend Japan from monsters. And it's about like his just pretty much depression and dealing with mediocrity, even though he's a giant freaking monster. But the trailer for it looks so bizarre. It's yeah. it's going to be awesome. I, I need to find out where this is going to be, because it's not going to be in every theater, that's for sure. Uh, I'm very interested in seeing this movie. Yeah, yeah if any... I expect that it'll be pretty hard to, to track down, so good luck on that. There are quite a few art house theaters around uh, around my neck of the woods, so I wouldn't be surprised if I can if I can get my my eyes on it. Well, I'll put up a I'll put up a link on the Gunga Pit, and uh, uh, if anybody around here wants to go go try to find probably some place near on Arbor or something to see this thing, I'm completely down this weekend. It's going to be awesome. And actually, another reminder: we are for the second time uh, going to be releasing our podcast on Thursday. So we're going to we have to act like today's Thursday. So the Wings won already. We're back the game the <laughs> game jinx them. Yeah. If there is a game, sorry, a game 7 it would be Thursday, wouldn't it? So maybe this could be happening just as game seven's going on. Yeah, if I they have game 7 it'll same. be Friday, but um oh. but I could be wrong about that. But I I do love if I can to turn this into the uh, the sports hour. I do love that they're going to be the Blackhawks after they beat the Ducks. So it's like taking it back to when I was in like middle school and my friends basement watching the games going nuts like trying not to get caught being awake and stuff. I I really like that that they're playing the Blackhawks. It makes me happy. Yeah, I'm glad Chicago's turned their franchise around and they're competitive again. Yeah. It's it's the type of team that I want to see them be good so that we can beat a good Blackhawks, like it's no fun beating a bad Blackhawks. <laughs> I agree with you for once. We do have a lot to cover today, so uh, I believe we are. We're going to be moving into movie reviews, and Jeff will be starting us out this week since Jeff claimed his was the best. I made no such claim. Uh, that having said, I did see a pretty cool movie called Twenty Four Hour Party People. It's a uh, it's a movie stars Stephen Coogan as a real life guy, a guy named uh, Tony Wilson. If you don't know who Stephen Coogan is, he's been in plenty of stuff. You should know him by now. He's British. He plays this guy Tony Wilson, who in the seventies was like on TV in Manchester, like a local Manchester, England program, and yeah. he really helped spearhead the the Manchester punk music or movement. So like Joy Division, uh, the Mondays, and uh, a lot of those other bands like that. And it's sort of it's sort of interesting because he narrates. It, uh, 
and it's sort of told through his, from his point of view. But it, admittedly, even like in the movie, he's like, I'm not the interesting person here. It just sort of all happened around me. And it's, it's, so it's, it's a fascinating movie. It's got, you know, enough interesting stuff mixed in with enough fact that, that I, I really got a huge kick out of it. I'm not that big into that music scene, but I do like a lot of that music. So it's sort of interesting, find, you know, learning some of the backstory and sort of seeing all that stuff. One of the things that I think they did really well, anybody who remembers a few months ago, I reviewed a movie called Control. That was a uh, biopic about Ian Curtis, who was the lead singer of Joy Division. They did a much better job of kind of looking at him and his life uh, very briefly in this, and I think that in this 24-hour party people movie, than they think they did in uh, in that entire Control movie. So So don't see Control. So Steve Coogan's guy character, Tony Wilson, is narrating a story, pretty much saying that he's not important, he's not interesting, but the movie itself is supposed to lead you into thinking he's interesting? Uh, sort of. I mean, he, he's kind of interesting. Uh, it, it, to, to quote him, I mean, they're sort of taking the piss a little bit out of uh, out of this guy Tony Wilson, who is kind of a funny character, like an interesting character. But he's interesting in some regard. But the people, like, he's sort of the calm center of this crazy storm that that happens in in Manchester around that point in time. So it's sort of it's it's an interesting way to tell the story, I guess. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I uh, so. Yeah. so- this movie. Yeah, I was about to say recommended, recommended, interesting. Yeah, for anybody that anybody that likes movies about music scenes and and uh, and that type of thing, this is a really really good one. One one of my favorites. Which is fitting for our music in May episodes. Yeah, I wish I had kind of seen it like two weeks ago, so I could have talked about it last week. It was exactly what we were talking about. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you, you know, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. The movie I wanted to review is actually a movie that everybody, I'm sure, was dying to see in 2002. Uh, the Sum of All Fears with Ben Affleck. Which I think is Jess Boy, right? Is that Jess Boy? Yeah, sure. Self, why, why not self-proclaimed too. <laughs> self-proclaimed. The Sum All Fears is commonly referred to pretty much as the stillborn child of the Tom Clancy series, <laughs> <laughs> featuring uh, Jack Ryan, Ben Affleck was in, Lee Schreiber, who, who I actually I'll take him. He's my uh, self-proclaimed boy. Uh, Leave Schreiber, big boy, Leave Schreiber, and uh, I learned in an NPR interview real quick that his name is actually pronounced Liev. Liev, uh, and it, okay. it makes him upset when he goes into casting, like casting studios, and the first thing they say is Leave. So Liev, that's okay. why he didn't join us here at the Gunga Cast. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm firing our production team. They should have vetted through that. I'm, I apologize, Liev Schreiber, you, isn't it? Me and a couple others, but yes. Okay, all right, good. I had the team. I'm sorry. So, yeah, movie about pretty much terror- terrorist organization finding a dead nuke that they reactivate and blow up on U.S. soil, which is sort of just a cool twist, like, hey, a nuclear bomb went off in the U.S., and it's not a giant disaster movie, including aliens and any Didn't other... did they blow up Baltimore or something? Yeah, yeah, Stadium they did. That's so yep. stupid. We're <laughs> <laughs> terrorists. I think yeah. I think they just had to do it because they just got it off a ship and they just wanted to detonate it immediately. So they just oh, so they it didn't want to gamble with it. To, yeah, exactly. Really, you're you're a half hour away from DC at that yep. point. Like, I'm just saying. <laughs> it wasn't a very big. I, I'm not sure what the exact will uh, exact sorry exactual. I just made a new word. Um, <laughs> the act the actual size of the bomb was, but it wasn't that big, and yeah, it didn't affect DC at all. Anyhow, Ben Affleck does. An obvious, an obvious play of Jack Ryan where it's not very interesting. Morgan Freeman actually doesn't do anything special in this movie either. The movie itself is just a, a waste of two hours. It's, it's entertaining, but, uh, you could probably watch it unconscious and get the same feel for, uh, the movie. 
as somebody actually paying attention to it. So <laughs> I wouldn't worry about catching it, but if you're a big Tom Clancy guy, maybe uh, maybe you should go check it out. Uh, I ended up seeing a movie called The Darjeeling Limited. Yes. Uh, I know you two yes. are big Wes Anderson fans, so hopefully you get a kick out of that. Um, it was a 2007 movie. It was written and co-wrote by Mr. Wes Anderson. Um, the movie is about three brothers who've been estranged for about a year. Uh, the brothers are played by Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and Jason Schwartzman, who also co-wrote the, the movie. The story is about them reuniting for a bonding experience on a cross-country train trip that goes across India, the train being called the Darjeeling Limited, hence the name. Yeah. But, but yeah, basically they go across country, they, they've been estranged for a while, so they don't really trust each other or get along at first, so they have to kind of learn to get back to the way it was, and that was the whole point of going on this trip. Uh, Wilson and Schwartzman do a really good job. Brody is a, interesting and a good addition to the normal Anderson canon of uh, actors that he uses. I think he fits in well with his type of movie. Angelica Houston shows up at, at the end as uh, the mother, and... Bill Murray shows up also as a really small role, and I still can't figure out why they put him in there except for to have a kind of an interesting intro, which was kind of weird. I don't know if you guys remember the intro to this movie. Oh, I remember the intro. That Bill seems, Murray that seems awesome. running for the train, and then having Adrian Brody yeah, passing him, jumping on the train, and then the story goes on without Bill Murray. So it's just kind I of weird that he was in there. Not to overanalyze, but I think he might be a symbol for their dead father. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was picking up on it, too. The one thing I wanted to ask you guys, because I know, Greg, you've seen this in the theater, correct? Yeah, yep. Um, there was a movie short on the DVD, and I don't know if they show this during the the box office presentation. And it was called... They did it the, Okay, yeah, the, they, the they Hotel of Chevalier with uh, Natalie Portman. Yep. Didn't you love it? Yeah, it was good. I did like that. I really loved it, yeah. yeah. So, wait, wait, so when you watched it on the DVD, did they force you to, did they, like, play they that? They gave you options. Same? They gave you okay. options with, without... You know, both single, whatever. So I was just curious how it was presented in the theater. But no, uh, it was yeah, uh, Natalie Portman plays kind of like this almost stalkerous girlfriend of Jason Schwartzman's character, and they kind of showed this rendezvous at the uh, at a French hotel before the whole uh, train ride happens. So it kind of sets up uh, the story. Um, yeah, the dialogue in that short is just phenomenal. Yes, I, I have. Yeah, I, d- I definitely love Wes Anderson's dialogue overall. The only complaint I had about this movie was it was kind of slow in parts. I actually caught myself like wondering what time it was and how far I was in the movie in parts. Uh, and I can talk to Jeff about that later because I know he's a big fan. But uh, but if oh, talk to him now. Talk to him now. Okay. Well, no, just, you yeah. know, I actually agree with you. Uh, on my second viewing of this movie, though, I think it moved a lot quicker because you really just don't see where it's going at like about two-thirds of the way through the movie. You're like, wait, what, where is this going? And so you sort of get a little confused by it. But on the second viewing, it, it, it did not seem to drag like that for me. Yeah, there's a little funeral-type scene in it, and that's the part where I was just like going, okay, we're lingering a lot here, what's going on, type of thing. But anyway, it's a you know classic Wes Anderson, you know, eccentric comic drama-type movie. It's not my favorite of his. I'm still a big fan of Rushmore. If you like Wes Anderson, you're going to like this movie. If not, I would try one of his other ones first. Uh, I don't think it's up to par with some of his other stuff, but it, it's pretty good. I do like the the, bro- the brother relationships are pretty cool. Like he hasn't he does a lot of family orientation stuff at least at uh in Royal Tenenbaums, obviously. Even Rushmore, they do it with just like the fraternity brother friend 
we're all part of the same school. I'm your Even, like, uh, life, life aquatic. Yeah, kind of life aquatic. Exactly. Like, like yeah, yeah, he does that a lot. And, there was uh, some filming uh, things that reminded me of life aquatic in there too. Just the way they filmed the train from the outside going like car to car. Yeah, you know, yep. so that kind of reminded me of like some of the sub scenes they had and stuff like that. The so. production design on that train was awesome. I yeah. thought, like, just everything on it looked so cool. I, I really liked that movie a lot. One thing, uh, not just about this movie, but other movies in general. When you, in this case, they talk about Natalie Portman's character, which I know I don't know her character's name, but it's Jack. It's Jason Schwartzman's girlfriend. She's not in the movie at all. She's in the short. Yeah, she's and they at talk the very about- end, and that's it. Oh, is she? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, when they kind of do the montage of the train of all the people they've kind of run into. Oh, okay, gotcha. I didn't remember that. But in this movie, and they also talk about their mom over and over again, and it's one of those movies where she's built up so much, and then you meet her in the end. And yeah, yeah. I don't like it. Didn't I don't think it paid off for me for this movie. Like she didn't live up to everything they were talking about, sort of like foreshadowing in between, like in the between on the ride there and. I did really like this movie, but that was something I do remember about it that I wasn't I wasn't impressed. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. And Adrian Brody, I like I, I think he I uh I was never a big fan, but he actually he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I think he's he would be a good future uh, uh actor for any other Wes Anderson film. I think he fits in good with this type of movie. Well done. Good review, Jim. I think I think you get the gold star for today. Yeah, n- nicely done, nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As everyone knows, today is our second installment of our Music in May series. We uh, sort of led into it at the end of the last episode with our uh, instrumental classical music quiz, which I believe... I, do you remember who won? I remember leading at some point. I think it was like the whole time I was winning. I think and it ended up being a wash. I'm not sure. What? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. No, so, Greg, won. Greg, okay. Greg Thank you. Greg beat me for once in his miserable life. Greg, Greg won at something. So today... Our topic will be musical scores, and we will be discussing some... Uh, so, original a music score, obviously, is uh, composed music specifically for that movie. Uh, movies made, shown to the composer, composer writes it up, boom, you're done. But we're also including... We will be discussing a little bit about uh, just classical music included in movies that may not be original, but has sort of been pretty much tagged as part of this movie, a la 2001, maybe even... Let's see, another good example would be... Apocalypse Now with the Apocalypse Now, yeah, yep, there you go, there you go. Which Rad- I found interesting because you know both those movies you just mentioned kind of have that in common, and there's two movies I don't like, so maybe that's something I don't like in movies. I never thought about it. Hmm, that is interesting. Maybe you just hate classical music. What are we talking about classical music for then, James? If you hate it, um, that's not true. I do like <laughs> classical music. <laughs> um, that's not true. <laughs> You know, I think that in some cases, like, I'm not a huge fan of uh, classical music myself. Like, I really, there are some pieces that I enjoy, and I guess I've just never given myself the chance to get into it. But I think that there are some points in movies where it's just absolutely phenomenal, uh, whether it be, like, uh, like an original score like you were talking about, Greg, uh, and the example, that, or just a, like something that was written 250 years ago, brought to the fore again uh, in, a, in a movie today. The example that immediately popped into my mind when I found out we were going to be talking about this was in The Empire Strikes Back, The Imperial March, and how that, like, without that, the scene where every, all, all the stormtroopers are just lined up and everything, it doesn't hold nearly the weight that, that it does with that piece of music that just embodies kind of pure evil and, and this dominant hand. And I, I really, uh, I think it's amazing what this, this genre of music, I guess, can bring to your movie experience. Yeah, you'll see it. You'll see that. Well, see it. You'll hear it 
over and over through the movie too, like in a little like different key or whatever, and you'll see it right. with Vader when Vader's got pretty much Luke on the ropes and when uh, the Emperor's around. It's it's really it's really nice work, and that you're exactly right. Like if it's James, weren't you saying earlier something about how when they made Star Wars early on, they were even dis- discussing going out with like a Flash Gordon kind of techno music, and they ended up actually going with the the classical original score that ended up being John Williams. I'd heard uh, that. Uh, yeah, I'd heard that. That wasn't me that brought it up, but yeah, oh, I definitely okay. had heard that. And you know, God bless the correct decision on that one. That's all I have to say. Because I mean, all the the Star Wars stuff is just phenomenal. I mean, Empire probably ranks higher for me, um, just because there's a little bit more variety in the different pieces and stuff. You got you know Yoda's theme and you know it, just the basic uh, you know heroic march or whatever they call it, and then they have you know Darth Vader's Imperial March and you know the Leia stuff, the asteroid stuff. I mean, everything's <laughs> Perfect. And then, you know, the Hoth battle has got, you know, a great uh, piece to it, too. So there's just so many pieces in there that I, I really love and stuff. You know which um, which one I like. Uh, I guess as long as we're on the Star Wars kick and talking about that, I really like the uh, the cantina. The I can't remember what it's called. The 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 but the um the, yeah the, the band the, is what the band yeah that they're playing uh-huh. in there. I I really I love that piece. It's just such a you know such I a heard nice a rumor a long time ago, and I have no idea if this is true, but that it was a Rolling Stones song backwards. That's probably urban legend, but I had heard a rumor. That's <laughs> so ago. cool. <laughs> it's one of the. Hopefully it's all the Rolling Stone songs backwards. <laughs> to break it down a little bit to sort of pieces and elements of it, we actually I we rarely plug other podcasts or other shows on the on this. Uh, we love everybody, of course, but I ended up watching uh, WNYC's Radio Lab, and it got me into this whole situation of light motifs, which we just sort of discussed with Apocalypse Now, where they have the Riot of the Valkyries because Richard Wagner was coined as being the the creator of it although he never liked being known for it he it's pretty much the idea of creating small themes and like musical pieces to belong to a character or a group or even just like a like a theme in the movie and it'll show up over and over in the movie and it'll be yeah, foreshadowed John, John Williams is huge at doing that he does that all yeah. the time yeah. just a, okay this you know music represents you know Yoda anytime Yoda shows up you know, I'll hint to the you know the score, or, you know, play it prominently depending on his role in that scene. So yeah, or he's always been really good at that. And you'll even hear it even before he shows up, or yeah, you'll yeah. hear it underneath some other song that shadow. To, yeah, yeah or maybe it's supposed to be sad, so you know he tones it down, you know yeah. that sort of thing. But yeah, again, WNYC's Radio Lab. I'll check it out if you're into podcasts. It's a good one. I think Jeff, I got you hooked on it. Yeah, right? that's how you got me hooked on that on yeah. that uh, show. Is using is it's called um. The, the Ring and I is the, yeah. is the name of that episode. You can get it on iTunes. Yeah, John Williams is a genius, and it's it's obviously shown on his uh, Oscar record. I've looked at this, and I thought at first it was just a list of the movies he's done because it's so long. It's how it's forty. How many? How many? Forty-five on Oscar nominations. Forty-five Oscar. Yeah, I'm not sure how many of those are actually songs versus scores, but still, forty. A lot of Oscars. scores. I'm, I'm yeah, with with five yeah. wins. That's and, re- just out of the top of my head, I kind of went through a list of you know composers trying to figure out, okay, you know, who are these people do I know? Okay, how many Oscar nominations do they have? And I was looking, the next best one out of the ten or so I knew, 18 nominations. So just to put that in perspective, he has 45. Yeah, so he's yeah, definitely he's the king ridiculous. of this, without a yeah. doubt. Let's talk about his number one, which was Home Alone, right? Like you guys knew the Home Alone. <laughs> Not a bad theme, really. I mean, if like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, movie aside, I really I think it is a pretty good theme. <laughs> Wait, movie aside, you're gonna have to explain yourself. I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is definitely known for you know all this you know the super anthems of you know the big 
ticket movies, you know, Star Wars, Jaws, Close Encounters, Superman, Indy, E.T., Jurassic. I even forgot that he did the Harry Potters at first before other people took over. Yeah, actually, I forgot about that, too. And And, he pretty much, like, I sort of thought he was a Steven Spielberg, like, route to scoring success, but he's done, he's done work with everybody. Like, he's done a lot of stuff. And I didn't know, like, he did Towering Inferno, and his first win was, uh, I think, like, an adaptation for Fiddler on the Roof a long time ago. And it was, like, he's done everything. It's not, it's like, you sort of, pigeonhole him into like he does the epic movie yeah. with the epic sound and it's it's not the truth that's yeah, for sure. some of my more favorite ones are not his you know big time anthem ones like uh he did catch me if you can i really love the music in that movie yeah. um saving private like ryan yeah i was gonna i was gonna bring that up yeah, it, yeah. it's sort of understated in that movie yeah i mean it could have easily been a big celebration of war and big anthemic tones and stuff like that but instead it's very solemn and subtle and it's more like an honoring of you know the people who went to war for us i thought that was a really good choice so does john williams make movies oscar winners or do you think it's everything together because john williams has touched a lot of he's made a lot of his these things at least he's been nominated personally and he's actually a lot of the movies he's been have been nominated for something else not including home alone of course but he's always a welcome addition to anything i'm watching he's Probably hands down my uh, my favorite composer in the movies. There's definitely some other people that have really good track records, but uh, yeah, he's my favorite. Who's your ne- who would be your next favorite? You know, Danny Elfman's really good. He's he's doesn't have the track record of some of these guys, but yeah, uh, he gets no love. Never mind. Yeah, he, he's got I, a different know, approach he's to a lot of them. I I love <laughs> Danny Elfman. Yeah, I mean, he started with Batman and Beetlejuice, and from then on, I was pretty much a fan. I mean, just that kind of. I don't even know how to describe the music, but it just puts you in a, a different mode of, you know, different mood, just like, okay, I'm do, seeing something different here now. And, you know, it just gets you in the mindset. And he's, that's another person that's kind of been known to associate with, you know, certain directors. He's always been a, a big Tim Burton collaborator. Right. So He's been nominated, but has he been nominated for any Tim Burton movies? Um, I don't think so. I think he's got four nominations, but I don't think any of them were Tim Burton. Right. Hmm. Uh, I remember the movie or the music rather in Big Fish being pretty good. Um, yeah, that was another one that I really liked. He was nominated for that. I remember that, but I wasn't. Sure. Was that a Tim Burton vehicle? That was actually. Okay, if he was nominated for that, then. Very cool. Well done, Danny Elfman. Oingo Boingo for the for the for the win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While we're speaking about uh, crazy '80s awesome bands uh, that that have turned <laughs> their lead singers into. Uh, Musical score writers, we can talk about Mark Mothersbaugh, Mark Mothersbaugh with uh, his re- association with Wes Anderson. He did uh, a lot of the work on, I know he did uh, Rushmore, Tenenbaums, and Life Aquatic. I don't believe he did Darjeeling Limited. Or, yeah, I wanted, to use, I wanted to use Darjeeling Limited for a segue, but I don't think he was in it either. I think you're right. And for those of you who tuned in last week, you got a little sampling in the quiz from him. That's right, we did Rushmore. Although we all, yeah. we all thought it was Tenenbaums. That's <laughs> true. His uh his stuff in those movies tends to be uh, like it tends to be kind of quirky and weird. Uh, <laughs> coming from the lead singer Devo, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. But uh, he's uh, I think he does a great job. I think as far as we know, this is kind of a Wes Anderson spank fest this uh, this episode and this podcast. But I think as far as pairing well with a director and his kind of themes, uh, he's up there with with the other two we talked about, Elfman yeah. and and Williams. Yeah, because basically you just said quirky and weird for him and. That's how I, you know, picture Wes Anderson movies. I mean, that's how they are. So it's a perfect match. I, I just, it doesn't seem like Mark Mothersbaugh has done anything but Wes Anderson movies, which is sort of like anything big other than Wes Anderson movies. So I do think you're, you were right that 
him and Wes Anderson are sort of joined at the hip in terms of uh, musical scores for his movies. Darjeeling Limited, I don't remember. I didn't remember the music score much either, but I definitely, I definitely remember and felt the uh, the Tenenbaum Rushmore combo. And then, of course, the the quirky techno, like we just said, quirky uh, techno and Steve Zizou. Wasn't there another big thing about? I guess we could talk about this later, but uh, the big thing about how there were tons of different live covers in uh, Steve Zizou. Was it all Portuguese? Like Portuguese? Uh, oh Dave yeah, it song, was Dave Bowie. Yeah, which was really cool. But shouldn't we talk about that later? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Little <laughs> little little, uh, little hint for our, our yeah, little, next topic. Little, little tease. <laughs> but yeah, that that yeah, definitely. I wanted to discuss a little bit about this guy's on the on the the edge of sort of what we want to discuss was Randy Newman because I know he does a lot of the, he did a lot of the Pixar stuff. He did Monsters Inc. He did Toy Story, Toy Story 2. I don't know if he did 3, but I think he ended up winning his Oscar for Monsters Inc. I wasn't, I don't think it was the score though, right? It was, uh, it was for the song. Yeah. But he'll, and again, he's not all instrumental. He'll actually, you know, sing stuff. It's a half and half guy. Yeah. And, uh, I was sort of wondering like, is this, I guess this isn't like your normal composer. This isn't what a composer should be. Like, does should he just be orchestrating, or should he be doing, you know, whatever he has to do to make a make a movie interesting? I'm. I mean, it doesn't matter to me if they're you know accomplished or not. I mean, I I tend to like some of Randy Newman's stuff. I mean, he's got some famous things under his belt as as well, like The Natural. He did The Natural, which was you know a big anthem. But I really enjoyed the Monsters Inc. music, another one that I played in the quiz last week. So I mean. I think on my count, he only had like 30 producer, or, uh, sorry, composing credits to his name. So, I mean, that's a lot lower than most so, people on the list. So that's, I mean, considering that, I mean, he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I think. yeah, that's a good point. You ran any fan, Jeff? Nope. Oh, come on. No, I like his stuff. Uh, particularly Monsters Inc. W- was good. Um, I don't, I don't remember the rest of those movies really sticking out in my head. The, the scores, but uh, the Monsters Inc. sort of had that like uh, that like jazz stuff going on the yeah. whole time. Yeah, I think his, out of those, he sings. I think I think is where it gets ugly. But um, I really, I, <laughs> I do like his uh, his scores. Well, if you don't like Randy Newman, perhaps you like his cousin Thomas Newman, who is only pretty much only known for the Shawshank Redemption score. Ninety-four. <laughs> wow, it's kind you of know that. Uh, <laughs> you know that. <laughs> That's actually his cousin. Yeah, it really is. Holy shit! <laughs> um, well, that's cool. Uh, Shawshank Redemption had a pretty good score. I, I don't think I don't think it was like epic or anything, but it yeah, certainly was yeah. good. I think. That's yeah, I, th- I think one of the more accomplished people like are kind of up in uh, John Williams' range is uh, James Horner. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Yeah, but uh, he, I mean, he's got a ton of them under his hand. Um, he does Wrath of Khan, Aliens, uh, Braveheart, Willow, Titanic. So he's got quite a few, and a lot of those I enjoy. I really enjoy the the Wrath of Khan uh, soundtrack, actually. There's Did he do of... Crawl? Because I swear the Willow... <laughs> I, I think he does do Crawl, actually. Are those you are serious? Crawl. Yes. Okay. I'm looking that up. Right <laughs> I, I'm almost positive I saw that, and I'm like, hmm, I should bring he that did. up to Greg. He did! I yeah. knew it! <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how important these people are. You can you know pick their stuff out of other movies, and you know you know this is you know a James I've, Horner film. I was watching it, and I thought I've I've felt like this before. I've seen this somewhere. Willow, and sure enough, I got it. Yeah, yeah he has done he has done a lot of stuff. I'm looking I'm looking at it right now. He did Glory, which we had talked about before in terms of ins- we talk about yeah. inspirational music and Glory. Yeah, he's he's got quite the list. He's one of the more wow. as far as uh, just. Sheer numbers of projects he's been on. He's been the composer for well over a hundred 
movies. So. Is he a big? Has he been an Oscar winner or no? Um, he was. He's a two for nine, so not bad. Two wins out of nine. And uh, in other news, he's actually going to be doing uh, composing for Avatar, which will be coming up at the end of the year. Mm. <laughs> um, one I definitely wanted to talk about, and you know, I'm dating myself, you know, but you guys will enjoy it. It's uh, The Godfather, and of course, Godfather, yeah. Go ahead. yeah, the first one actually. Um, and of course, you know, the main theme and the love theme are very famous and stuff, and they do really got good job of you know setting the, the tempo for the movie and stuff. It's kind of a slow, um, you know, familial look at uh, a mob as opposed to, you know, just all guns and blazing style. Um, and the wedding music section of it in the beginning, you know, does a good job of setting up, you know, the Italian family. Okay, you're, you know, part of the family, gets you in, you know, to be one of the uh, the Corleones. But the part that I really like it is the uh, part at the end when they're doing the whole baptism scene and while they're having the baptism. You denounce of, Satan and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And they're doing the, you know, the five-pronged assassination attack on all the other families. And during the whole time, I forget the composer. It's like a piece by Strauss or somebody. And it's just doing, it's like a church hymnal type of music that's playing. And, you know, the scenes are bouncing back and forth between the scene of the church and the scene at a certain assassination, back to the church, back to another assassination. And I just love that whole, you know, opposites. Yeah, like style. the juxtaposition, and yeah, somehow, exactly. somehow he kept, like they keep it where the, the scene, musical fit both scene. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of my, you know, favorite uses of music in the movies today. So that was really good. I'm not sure if that was Strauss, but I, I do to kind of change gears a little bit. I do want to talk about one of my favorite uses of music in a movie, and that's it's actually Strauss. Uh, is 2001: A Space Odyssey? He does both the uh, that dun, 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 that that theme, and then also the um, immediately following that that scene or that uh, that that part of the movie with the where everything's floating around the the song yeah, Blue Dot. Yeah, and the, this, yeah, this song about uh, it's kind of amazing. This song that was written however many hundreds of years ago, uh, 150 years ago, whatever it is, about this this you know looking out at this river it tends to work so perfectly for looking at these objects floating around in space, and it's just it's just absolutely gorgeous and unbelievable. And uh, I think Kubrick deserves the utmost utmost respect from all of us for his ability to take this very classical music. And apply it to freakishly modern things. It's I, I'm very, very uh, infinitely impressed by that, and I think it was a, like one of the more memorable scenes I've ever seen in a movie. The scene you're talking about is when they're actually like looking at the spaceship from afar in space, and they start seeing it spin, and they zoom in. There's like moving in toward it. Is that what you're talking about? Um. Okay. So the the monkey man thing. Yeah, um, yeah, I know that one. Like, uh, up up in the air, and it starts spinning, and like the bone up in the air, and it starts spinning, and then as it's spinning, it turns into a a spaceship spinning, and it's it, it's showing all like the different spacecrafts after that for about three minutes. They show okay. different spacecraft. Okay. Yeah, blue Danube. I got you. Yeah, that was it's... probably my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> See, even Jim likes it, and Jim loathes that movie. I, I also, I mean, while we're on the Kubrick, uh, the Kubrick wagon, um, I think probably something that I've, I've been excited about talking about for this subject is Clockwork Orange and all the uh, the tripped out, bizarre synth Beethoven stuff and how awesome that is and how it. Uh, uh, anyone who's read the uh, the book Clockwork Orange and or seen the movie for that matter knows the main character, uh, despite being like a degenerate, awful, obsessed with violence youth is just in love with Beethoven and just cannot get enough of him. And so it's it's this sort of this combination of 
modernness and creepiness with this classical Beethoven, and the the stuff is just awesome. It's one of the few, I think, classical soundtracks that I could just sit through and really enjoy. In which we actually included it in the the intro to our our series here. And if there's yeah, yeah. if there's probably a track in there that you didn't recognize, it's probably that one. And it's it, Clockwork yeah. Orange. I think. Well, James, I don't know. Have you caught Clockwork Orange? I, I have I, not seen it. Oh wow! I was gonna say if anyone doesn't like, I know Jeff likes it, and I like it. I wasn't sure about you. You're a you're a variable, James. You're not dependent. Yeah, I, I've listened to the intro music, and uh, it freaked me out when I listened to it. Whoa! <laughs> I know this, and it's really bizarre. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, there, there are a couple of pieces like that in in there, and it's really cool. Yeah, he does. A, Kubrick has done a good job, and also, I didn't realize this, but John Williams was, did a AI artificial intelligence was pretty much Kubrick's like. Not as he didn't end up finishing it, but uh, I was sort of surprised that John Williams ended up doing it. Although uh, Kubrick and uh, Spielberg, who had yeah, finished Spielberg it, kind of yeah, it so up. I figured, I figured that uh, maybe Kubrick would have had the final say. Almost, so I'm just getting to the point that I think Kubrick would probably hate John Williams. Yeah, because I actually read something about the 2001 choice of music from Mr. Kubrick, and I remember the, him saying in the articles that he actually chose to go with something old because. I mean, they are the masters, the best at what they do. Why yeah, is there anything else? My, so, my feelings were correct. I just couldn't say them very well. There was there was uh, one final one, at least I wanted to discuss, and this is another one that sort of uh, sits on like midway. Is Fantasia. I wasn't sure if we we're going to include this. This was the only this was the only place I could fit it in terms of uh, episodes. And Fantasia being the Disney's movies that is just tons of classical music, which I think they laid out first. There's like, okay, what yeah, scores are we using? This movie's unique just because it seems like the movie's reverse engineered from the music to exactly. the movie. And I think that's a good point. It's almost like music videos for yeah, classical yeah. music. It's, it's sort of cool. I, and I, I, yeah. I really wish, like, I'm sure there are other movies out there that just aren't as known that are done like this. And if there's any, if you guys know anything, uh, any of the listeners out there about any movie that's pretty much music first, and then they just say, okay, let's put images to it, and we'll watch it. And Well, I'll watch it, because I'm, I'm really curious. And this movie is, even when you watch it not as a kid, it's 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 entertaining, as long as you... Can't de- yeah. can deal with classical music. Yeah, hands down, my favorite segment in that is the uh, Night on Bald Mountain segment with the demon. That is just such yeah. great music and powerful and evil and just the the uh, cartoon they have along with it with the demon and the undead and de- you know little goblins running around. It's just it's just spot on. Yeah, it's um it it was entertaining as a kid and when you watch it later, it it's, has different meaning I think and it's it's uh it's fantastic although. As much as I hate Disney, the corporation, I'm pretty much sucked into all their movies, etc. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, uh, last last uh, last chance, last shots. Anyone have anything else? Um, no, I mean, the Sting is one of my favorites, and I really like that for the uh, the ragtime representation of you know use of music in there from uh, Scott Joplin. It's a great piece. Yeah, great that's piece. a great piece. Um, they use it throughout the film and it, I mean it really gets me in the mood for that movie it, I just watched that this week actually and it's got the it's a playful tune for a con artist movie so it, it, I thought it fit really well and that's another one that kind of goes along with your 2001 Apocalypse Now because I believe that uh, song came out in like 1902 or something and here it is in a, a you know 70s movie about the 30s so it's all over the place <laughs> but yeah it works <laughs> Multi-generational. Yeah. Very good. I guess so, I've got the, uh, the Parker Posey this week. Do we want to get there? 
Yes, yes, please, Parker Posey. Although okay. I should uh, address, you're trying to skip my Parker Posey first. Well, time. when you talk, people tend to tune out, so I was just <laughs> going to try. Well, let's see if I can. See, Come on, did you, did you not hear my Barbara, Barbara Streisand slash Barbara Walters thing? Earlier? That was fantastic. Um, can right. you do the whole? I missed it. I can <laughs> tune that out. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> uh, so the question last week uh, for the Parker Posey's play along was brought to you by myself, and the question was: If you're hosting a party with a movie playing in the background, you know, sound somewhat on, sort of out on the side, which movie do you play and why? And I'm actually they, we got some different people answering, which I'm always a fan of, but also we have our, our classics coming back with good answers. I'm surprised. I, I really thought I was going to see Animal House. And dazed and confused all over the board, but everybody got some actually some interesting things. Were, Probably the most interesting. Sorry, what were you I was just going to say? You were looking for the party movie to go at the party. Well, I didn't. No, I was worried that that's where everyone was going to go, gotcha. and I'm, I'm happy it didn't happen. That was the one worry I had about the had about the question. And uh, I think the most, uh, I guess, the most surprising is. Although it's a Christmas movie, well, I guess it could be quoted as a Christmas movie, is Scrooge by KPW. I was thinking, I'm like, all right, well, she she would bust out for Christmas, but now I think I'd just put that out at any time. It would be a hilarious movie just to have sitting in the background. Because I picked uh, Miracle on 34th Street just for the, the shock value. Like, like why is that on? <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, Scrooge would be a little less for shock value and a lot. Like, damn, Scrooge is on. Sweet. It might be a little too, too uh, let's see, it's avert- averting too attractive and uh yeah uh, not uh, white noise enough for you huh Mm-mm. yeah i actually liked uh, joshua's response um it's more about the idea than the idea or than the actual movie he uh picked fight club for the, the visual aspects of it and i think that is something that you would need is something a very visual movie that you can just have on and you know let the raucous crowd drown out and you could still you know see it and have it in the background so that, that was a good call there yeah, I, I definitely think we got some good ones on this. I'm kind of surprised because it was one of those offbeat questions, and a lot of times with the offbeat questions, people tend to clam up. But uh, we even got one from, I think, a new listener, uh, Jake, on the Facebook page uh, throughout. He would play any musical, any musical at all. So that's, that's That makes sense. That makes sense because musicals, yeah. even though they seem like it would be tons of just – Sound and music that you're looking at. A lot of them have really like just vivid motion and stuff. So right, you can actually right. Watch yeah, it. so it's, yeah. There's sort of like almost like a like an irony to that. Like, hey, we're we're gonna turn the sound down and actually play <laughs> our own music. But yeah, music, I like that. <laughs> like watch That's them go. So I, I, I definitely I kind of like that answer. It sort of made me think. <laughs> Uh, honorable mention, by the way, to Varys for Cable Guy. Sorry, Galloway. No love, no love this week. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I got a problem with that because he said he didn't like Cable Guy. Maybe there were two Cable Guys. I was thinking about the one with Jim Carrey and Matthew Broderick, uh, which was which was awesome. <laughs> which was great. So yeah, uh, that was last week's. Thank you everyone for participating. And Jeff has this week's, which will hopefully will uh, live up to uh, mine. Let's see. Oh, slim chance. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I wanted to I wanted to keep with our music in May theme and this is kind of a tough one, so I'm just going to warn you guys right now. Crap. Um so good luck. But I want to know is there any movie that you saw based strictly on the soundtrack, whether you saw it in the trailer or somebody told you, yeah, like there's this awesome scene with this song or anything like that. Has there ever been a movie that you saw based on the soundtrack? 
And I'll, I'm going to bust out my, my answer. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. Uh, the, there was a Nick Cage movie called Weatherman a couple of years back. And the, uh, I, I had like, I had like three hours to myself one day, uh, in Ann Arbor. It's kind of a long story, but I, like I, I, I was between doing things. So I found a theater and there was really nothing showing. And I remembered that the trailer for this movie, Weatherman, had both, uh, the Pixies, Where Is My Mind, and Iggy Pop and the Stooges, The Passenger, right in the, right in the trailer. So I was like, alright, well, you know, I'll probably go see, you know, it'll probably be cool. And neither one of those songs really showed up in the movie at all, so I felt even more duped, and the movie wasn't that good at all, so. But, um, what a that, that's my, yeah, total disaster. So that's my answer. Either one of you guys can think of one, or uh, make one up, just for, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie based on the trailer alone, first off. Um, and that would mean I'd have to have heard somebody tell me, oh, dude, this has got some sweet music in it. Check it out. I'm not sure if I've ever seen anything like that. James, do you have something so I can take ten more minutes? Uh, yeah. This one's, I don't know if it's in the spirit that Jeff is looking for, but this is definitely the reason I went to go see the movie. And that would be the movie Ray. Uh, I just remember watching the previews and hearing, you know, the the great uh, lyrical stylings of uh, Mr. Ray Charles and just wanting to go see the movie and just be enraptured in it. So I, I guess that's my my pick. I don't think that's exactly what you were looking for, but the one, the one is. The one thing that comes to my head is Jeff, actually. Uh, Jeff, the guy that is hosting the show with us here, uh, mentioned to – actually had me watch A Mighty Wind – which he had said that the the songs were actually interesting and funny, and even though it's completely ad-libbed, it's Christopher Guest movie. And he did a, I must admit, it was a pretty decent movie, but I guess that would be a reason I saw it was because Jeff claimed that the music was actually listen, listenable and interesting, even though it was completely just off the cuff. Well done, Jeff, for making me catch that movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no problem. That's, I, I'm a big Chris Gaines. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I was that was... I was probably lying to you about the music, like the music is sort of secondary, but I, yeah. I definitely loved it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is secondary, but it, it's funny, too, when you catch it. And I, I was, I've never been a big Christopher Guest fan, but it was, it was, it was enjoyable. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's probably a better answer, but I just, I can't, I can't think of it. You guys actually see, you guys see trailers and have no interest in the movie before you see, before you see the trailer, and then you think, oh, I'm gonna go watch this movie? I want to give an honorable mention, actually, and somebody else is probably going to say this on the site, but um, I am going to go see, and I probably would anyway, but I'm going to go see the Wild Things movie because of the song that's in the trailer. Um, oh, yeah, Arcade that, Fire. That yeah. definitely, uh, yeah, the Arcade Fire song, Wake Up, is in the trailer, and it's a perfect song about, like, uh, like kids versus parents and, like, this whole, uh, like, sort of, like, this growing up thing, which is exactly what Where the Wild Things is about, so you get the idea that they're really doing it right, and uh, so it's exciting. Yeah, Spike Jones. Yeah, and to answer your question, Greg, I definitely I let the trailer affect me a little bit, so it's, it's important. But yeah, it is kind of kind of disconcerting, Jeff, when that happens to you when you watch a trailer, see the music in the trailer, and then go to the movies yeah, and it's not I was there. Pissed. That happens, and it's just like because I've seen them recycle tons of music before. Like I swear I've heard like the Goonies music and other stuff all the time, and it's like I know that's not going to be the movie. So, so Jeff, <laughs> uh, the Parker Posey, one more time for uh, our listeners. Have you ever seen a movie based strictly on the soundtrack or what you knew about the soundtrack? All right, so our Parker Posey's play along. Uh, I hope you guys have some great answers because I obviously had a terrible one. So you pick on me if you need to. You can go to uh, gungapit.com to put your answers on. There'll be a thread called Parker Posey's play along, or you can find our Facebook page. Uh, called the Movie Hour. It's a page, not a profile, and uh, you should search and be able to find it. You'll f- see our logo all over the place. 
Thank you, Jarv, for that, by the way, once again. Um, also, uh, a couple other things. Next week, we will be covering musicals, and we will have another pop quiz, which James did a... James did a so when you say we, you mean James is going to be covering musicals. <laughs> you and I are going to ask slightly... I'll questions. be handing out homework assignments <laughs> after the show for you guys. Maybe I'll catch five or six in between. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, we'll have that nice little quiz for you. And uh, again, the, if you have... Any stories you want to say about music, how it's affected you, especially the musical score stuff. Obviously, the Evil Dead soundtrack kicked fucking ass. But if you want to say anything <laughs> like that, uh, there will be a thread open on the forums for this episode that you can uh, you can bring up your own personal story. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Jeff, James, thank you for the input. Uh, see you next time, everyone. Uh, drive safe, people. Uh, thank you, live listener. Thank you, listeners. And everyone, take care. See you later. Barbara Streisand's The Rhinoplasty Movie Hour. Rolls off the tongue pretty well. Yeah. The Bob Westweisian's rhinoplasty movie hour. <laughs> no, yeah, you changed it to like a like a John F. Kennedy thing. <laughs> Ira, Ira, I'm going to be doing this on the Bob Westweisian's uh, rhinoplasty movie hour. Ira, like Mayor from The Simpsons. <laughs> you will see stars. You don't know it, but you are made of stars. Right, 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 uh, I can't even talk. I'm gonna be pausing right there, by the way. Starting <laughs> no shit! <laughs> right! Thank you.